and welcome to Stops and Starts, a women's hockey podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Glavin, and this is episode six. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen and also ask that if you like what you hear to be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. On today's show, we're going to do um, a lot of things. I have a feeling that it's going to be kind of a long episode, um, so I'll make sure to put timestamps in the notes. Um, so on today's episode, I'm going to share a couple of resources that I use that I think every women's hockey fan should know about. I'm going to talk about Marissa and Jemmy's recent hiring and what that means for women's hockey media or what it might mean. Um, I'm going to talk about the USA roster that recently dropped for centralization. Um, I'll actually do an NCAA college hockey update, talking about just a couple more hirings that happened um, and some schedules that have come out um, that, uh, that, and, and what, that, what looks interesting there. Um, and then we'll do an NWHL update. They are always up to something and they've done some more hiring in the past week. And then I will probably close with, because this is a mommy hockey podcast, um, just talking about my kids a little bit, um, because they are obviously, um, as much as I like talking about hockey, probably my favorite thing to talk about would be them. So, um, so let's get started. Um, a couple of resources that I, I wanted to mention because I feel like they're kind of unsung a little bit. Um, the first one is women's hockey, or sorry, women's college hockey.org. Um, this is an almost weekly newsletter that is produced by Grant Kimball, who is the assistant coach at, um, Yale and just longtime coach in women's hockey. Um, so he sends out these almost weekly updates, um, or you can just go to the blog on the internet and, um, just really concise wrap up of what's happened in women's college hockey for each week. Um, and an angle that I don't know anything about is recruiting. And so it's really, um, interesting to see what he says about that angle of it. So check that out. The other thing I wanted to mention, um, that I used actually in preparing for today's podcast is a website that's, um, ran by Mike Murphy and it does have a Patreon if you wanted to support it. Um, but it's also free if you want to just use it. Um, it's a website called theirhockeycounts.com, uh, and basically it lists statistics, um, points and advanced statistics um, for NCAA, CWHL, NWHL, and international. Um, but one of the really neat things, there's a lot of neat things on it, but one of the really neat things that I like about it is that he has the time on ice statistics for the international games um, to the extent that they exist. Um, and I remember a few years ago, the time on ice stats were out there. Um, I forget who published it. It might have been on like an NBC website for the Olympics. And then one day, I, and it was there for months. And then one day I went back and it was just gone, like they had taken it down for some reason. Um, so Mike's website, theirhockeycounts.com, is great because he has all that information. Um, and he's a guy that believes in archiving, so I don't think that the information is going to disappear anytime soon. So if you are a women's hockey fan, um, those are two websites that I think you every fan should know about, womenscollegehockey.org and theirhockeycounts.com. Um, so moving on, uh, so women's people who follow women's hockey know the name Marissa Njemi. She got a job. So first of all, she is a person who writes, 
um, about all kinds of different sports, but she writes about women's hockey and men's hockey. And she's very good at writing about women's hockey um, and just reporting on it. She has a lot of sources and stuff like that. And then not only that, she's also good at just having an opinion and stating and supporting and arguing her opinion. And I don't always agree with every opinion that she has, but I love just reading her stuff um, and, uh, you know, seeing what she has to say. Um, and I think she's one of the, the best women's hockey writers out there. Um, sadly for women's hockey, um, but good for Marissa and Jemmy, she recently got hired full-time to cover the Seattle Kraken. Um, so she'll be moving to Seattle. That doesn't have a ton of women's hockey. Um, so unfortunately for women's hockey fans, we may have lost one of our, you know, best women's hockey writers, um, in terms of the quantity that she's going to be able to write next year. Um, but that being said, I'm, you know, her goal was to, to get back on having an NHL beat. Um, and so I'm happy for her that she made that happen for herself. Um, but it's, you know, it's tough for women's hockey. There's not a lot of writers out there. Um, and there you could count on one hand, the ones that actually write for like big publications like Marissa and Jemmy did. She wrote for the New York times as a freelancer, 538, um, Sportsnet and, I think it was called like NBC NHL or something like that, um, online. So super happy for her. Um, and, but kind of bummed for women's hockey. Cause I can't imagine she'll be writing as much in this coming year. So I think then one of the takeaways is just like, okay, who's going to fill her shoes and are all those, um, you know, she obviously pitched her stuff to those, 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 um, companies that I just mentioned. And hopefully the editors at those companies, like if she's not going to be writing these stories, hopefully they're finding somebody else to write them. Um, cause it's a big year for women's hockey and it needs the coverage. Um, all right. So then, so that was something that, 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 that did came out this morning. And just one other thing I wanted to add on that, you know, it was interesting. Um, I think reporters and media people, they kind of, even though they are not the story, they cover a sport. The reality is that they sort of share a little bit about their lives, um, you know, online and that's just the way it is. So I remember 15, 16 months ago when COVID hit, I remember Marissa announcing that, you know, she was a casualty of it and had lost her job at the Herald. Um, and it was a little, it was just really inspiring sort of to see her, um, jump right into the freelancing and go hard with that to get by. Um, and then also at least publicly never waver from like stating like, look, my goal is to get an NHL beat again. Um, and good for her. She did it. You know, I would think that the past year was tough. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, it's quite something to, to, to sort of see how that goes. I mean, see the person announce, oh, I lost my job, to see them fight through it with the freelancing and then and see them then announce this exciting, exciting new thing where they, they reached their goal that they never wavered from. So good for her. Um, and I'm sure I'll read some of her Seattle Times stuff about the Kraken. Um, okay, moving on. So um, USA Hockey, after I ranted last week, you know, they must have heard my podcast and said, God, we got to get the centralization roster out. That had to be what happened, right? JK. Um, but anyways, after I published my, my podcast, probably not 12 hours later, 
USA Hockey published their centralization roster. Um, so this section will probably take me a while to work through. Um, but uh, what they did is they, so we were expecting them to name 28 players to their centralization roster. They actually only named 27. Um, so who, who knows what, you know, maybe they just thought, ah, there's no one, there's no 28th we could name who actually has a shot at making it. Or are they keeping that spot open for like a mystery spot? Like maybe Casey Bellamy will unretire or, you know, maybe we can kind of hold this over the players to, to, um, incentivize them to work hard. Like, come on, there's that open spot. Maybe they're going to bring someone else on that I have to compete against. Who knows, right? Um, but at any rate, they currently have a centralization roster of 27. They will announce supposedly a roster of 25 for Worlds. Um, they will announce this roster at the end of July. Worlds will happen in August. And then going back to that same pool of 27, um, they'll all train together for until Christmas time, at which point they will name a roster of 23 for the Olympics. Okay, so currently at 27, going to go down to 25, back up to 27, and then back down to 23. Um, so, so um, you know, as expected, the roster that they named back in April for the Worlds that got canceled and had a coaching change, um, this, there are some people that were on that roster that are no longer on the group of 27. So Casey Bellamy retired, um, Sydney Brote and Aaron Frankel, unfortunately for them, although they were on the original roster, they have not been named to the centralization roster. So that's a tough, and they're not on the worlds. They're not going to go to worlds, um, even though they originally made the roster. Um, so that's just a tough pill for those guys to swallow and you feel badly for all three of them, to be honest. Um, so Bellamy was a top 4D at Pyeongchang um, 2018 Olympics. Um, and um, she's just like going to be a huge loss for this team. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what how that goes. And then Sydney Brote, um, she made the world championship team in 2019 after her junior season at UMD. Um, she represented herself fine at those world championships. She was a bottom six forward. Um, and then she came back to UMD for her senior season. She had an incredible senior season. Her point total went from like 20 as a junior to 40 as a senior. Um, so you can just see the impact on the confidence and like skill level that it has for these players to get to go to um, be in the national program. Um, so she, Sydney Broach, she graduated in 2020. Um, and then unfortunately, just, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, like her opportunities have kind of dried up as far as the national team currently. And she recently signed in Europe. Um, the other person that was on the original 2021 world's roster, who's not there anymore is Aaron Frankel. Um, she was a goalie. Um, and you really feel for Aaron Frankel. She has yet to, she's represented team USA in an exhibition game in a rivalry series game, but she's not represented them, um, in an IHF, um, game at the senior, um, national team level. Um, and she has done everything to put herself in that position to be selected. It's just, it's a ridiculous roster to try to make. Um, and then COVID and coach changes obviously haven't helped her. So she is a senior from Northeastern University. She won the Patty Kaz this year. Um, she's a goalie, uh, 0.81 goals against average her senior se season, 0.965 save percentage. I think her team lost two games all year. 
They lost in overtime in the national championship game on a bizarre goal from behind the net. So, like, Frankel literally did everything she could have done to put herself in a position to make this team. Um, so, um, there are strong cases for the three goalies that they selected. Um, but I think that the main takeaway is just like, my God, it is hard to make this national team. Um, I, I, there's this also this little part of me that wonders if it was strategic of them to, of the coaches to not select her for centralization, um, and take these other three women, um, who we'll get to in a second. Um, I almost wonder if it was strategic just because Aaron Frankel does have the opportunity to go back to college, be in that, um, supportive environment, actually get another 40 games to play, um, versus if they centralize her, and don't centralize one of the other older goalies. Those other older goalies would be like wandering in the wilderness of the PWHPA or the NWHL or Europe. Um, so I just kind of wonder if it was strategic in that regard. And USA Hockey still has plans to have Aaron Frankel um, represent the country in an IIHF tournament um, down the road. So those are the three that were on the roster that um, just a couple months ago that unfortunately will not be um, Sydney Brote. Um, Casey Bellamy and Aaron Frankel. So now what I wanted to do, um, so, oh, and then I should say the players that did get added. So remember that original world's roster had 25, take away the 20, sorry, take away the three that, that got cut or retired, that gets you down to 22. Then five people got added. So the players that got added were Maddie Rooney, who's a goalie and an Olympian, um, Jincy Dunn got added. She's a defender. Callie Flanagan got added. She's a defender. And then, um, and those two are 24 and 25 years old. And then they also added a couple of young people, Lacey Eden and Abby Murphy. Uh, Lacey Eden and Abby Murphy just finished their freshman seasons in college. So that's your centralization group. Um, if we kind of work through it now by position, um, I'll try to just share some observations um okay so at the goalie level they are basically in the end after cutting frankel um they're left with maddie rooney alex cavallini and nicole hensley so that's the same crew that they brought to the 2018 olympics and won gold with and at first i was like oh that's interesting they're going to have the same goalies as last time i bet that doesn't happen very often because i on the canadian side i don't think it has happened um, interestingly, on the American side, um, having the same goalies um, at the Olympics is actually quite common. So 1998 and 2002, they had the same goalie tandem. Uh, 2006, they had Shanda Gunn and Pam Dreyer, that they were both one-time Olympic goalies. And, and then in 2010 and 2014, again, the United States had the same goalies. Um, it was Molly Schaus, Brianne McLaughlin, and Jesse Vetter both times. And now they're going to do it again, where in 2018 and 2022, they're bringing the same goalie trio. So not actually that unusual. Um, I think that one of the greatest arguments for bringing these three that they chose um, in, in, in not Aaron Frankel. One, like I said, Aaron Frankel could go back to college and be in that supportive environment to continue to get better. Um, that's one reason. The other reason is you look at these three goalies that they have, all of them have huge wins at the IIHF level. So Nicole Hensley was in net for the gold medal game um, in the 2017 
world championship that they won in overtime at home right after their threatened boycott. So that was a big time pressure situation. So, so Nicole Hensley has that experience in 2018 at the Olympics. They went with, um, that same trio, but it was Maddie Rooney who was like their starter and Maddie Rooney led them to gold in the shootout. Um, huge pressure on her. She was like 20 years old at the time. And then in 2019 at the World Championships, they went with Alex Cavallini. Again, the same trio, but a different one of the three who they were treating as their starter. They had her play all five games in the World Championships. She played great. And she led them to gold again in a shootout. So overtime and two shootout um, wins in IHF, in the last three IIHF competitions for these guys. So if you're a coach of, of this team, um, I mean... Why do you strike any one of those women off the list kind of thing? You know, they're still young, physically fit, um, presumably healthy. They're going to have a centralization to get their edge back after, um, you know, not being in a college routine of playing 40 games a year. Um, so I can, there's, I think, a super strong argument for taking those three and not taking, not canceling one of them and bringing um, Aaron Frankel. Um some of it might just to be like the changes in coaches, right? Um, Bob Corp Bob Corkum was an East Coast guy, and he might have uh, saw things differently than Joel Johnson, who's you know um, from Minnesota. Um, so just I guess different coaches are going to want different things, um, and it's you know kind of you just again you see how hard it is to make this team. Like Hensley was on the team in eighteen. So actually, I misspoke. At 2019, she wasn't at the 2019 World Championships um, when Cavallini played five goals. Uh, sorry, five games. But like Emma Polozny was a, a goalie at the 2019 World Championships. She was there briefly. She's gone. Um, and then Aaron Frankel was on the roster for 20, but those ones were canceled. Um, so, you know, you do just kind of see. And so like Hensley was like not in the mix for two years and you almost thought oh god is she done but she played I mean she fought her way back on the roster so credit to her um and again you just see how hard it looks to make this um national team roster so so that's the goalies um Cavallini it, I think where it gets real interesting then is like well which one of those three will we see and that's way down well I guess it's not way down the road because worlds are next month but um you know, Cavallini is older. She's played in five world championships and in Olympics. Um, she's got an NCAA championship, but like she is older, right? And I think Hensley looked the best of the three in the recent PWHPA showdowns. Um, so I'm super curious to see who is their starting goalie for worlds, but we will soon find out. Okay, let's talk about defense. So in 2018, they brought 7D to the Olympics. Right now they have nine centralized. So most likely they're going to cut two, okay? Um, of the seven that they brought to uh, Pyeongchang in 2018, um, only four are currently centralized. Um, so Bellamy retired, Falzer's on maternity leave, and Sidney Morin is no longer on the roster. Um, and Falzer and Bellamy were both top 4D at the 2018 Olympics in terms of ice time. Um, so those are really big losses that they need to, uh, replace. Um, the other top D were Steckline, Lee Steckline, and Megan Keller. Um, 
by 2019, we saw Barnes, Kayla Barnes, join the top four. Um, and also Megan Bozek, who was a 2014 Olympian, got snubbed in 2018 and seems to be back in the mix for 2022. So I think that the top four, I think four locks to make the roster are probably uh, Lee Steckline, Megan Keller, and Kayla Barnes, um, who were all 2018 Olympians, and then Megan Bozek, who was the 2014 Olympian. So that gets us four. Um, and then to find your next three, um, so of that group that I just named, there's only two right-handed D, um, of the centralized group, Callie Flanagan and Natalie Buckbender are also right-handed D. So I think one of them is going to make the roster. Callie Flanagan, um, is an Olympian. She was there in 2018 but she only had about 9 minutes and 34 seconds per game of ice time as an average. Um, and she has not made an IIHF roster since 2018. Um, and she graduated from college in 2019, which means she's now two years removed from college of trying to stay in shape and get better on her own, essentially. You know, within the framework of the PWHA, PA, but still same. Not the same framework as college, right? Um, so... So I'm, you know, I'm saying that Flanagan and Buckbender are basically competing for a spot against each other, um, um, assuming that they're only going to take three right-handed D, um, and then so Buckbender, meanwhile, um, played at Wisconsin. So she's a two-time national champion. Um, this would be her first um, world championships if she can make this roster. Um, and uh, she's not like um, a high point scorer, um, but she is a very just responsible D, like I said, two-time national champion. Um, and she had a play in that overtime game in the national championship that Wisconsin won where, um, you know, again, she's a defender, so you don't really get much accolades for it. But she basically made like a, a sliding kind of sliding play in overtime to break up a pass that um I think everyone in the building was like row row like northeastern's about to score and end it right here um and buckbender was like not so fast so it, between buckbender and flanagan like you know flanagan is an olympian but um I could see them going with with buckbender so I think that one that that matchup is interesting to watch um, the other option, of course, is that they could take four right-handed D. Maybe both those ladies will make the roster. Um, but I think it's going to be perhaps one of them. Um, so then that leaves us with two more spots on D that um, need to get filled. Um, the remaining three defenders that I haven't talked about are Caroline Harvey, Jinsey Dunn, and Savannah Harmon. Um, Caroline Harvey is, uh, she's one to watch throughout the centralization. She is um, 19 years old and a Wisconsin commit from uh, Salem, New Hampshire. So she, other than playing at the world, um, at the uh, U18 women's events, um, obviously is she's new to the senior national team. Um, and I mean, they like their young players. I guess she's no, this is seeing her centralized is no different than them centralizing Kayla Barnes before her freshman year of college or centralizing Jincy Dunn back in 2014 before her freshman year of college. But it still just catches you off guard, right? When you go down a roster, you're like, Caroline Harvey, I've never heard of her. Oh my God, she's 19 years old. Um, so 
On the one hand, I'm like, is this person really going to make the roster? I don't know. She's 19 years old. But guess what? They have it. They are bold and they have a history of taking these young players, right? Like Kayla Barnes, they, they took her and they won a gold medal with her on the roster. So um, who knows? Uh, maybe one of these last two spots is going to go to Caroline Harvey. So um, she's one to watch in the upcoming um, next few months. Jincy Dunn um, is so awesome. And I just, I mean, for the Ohio State fans that are listening, you, you know, we all are in uh, Jincy Dunn's corner. Um, she was part of the group that sort of re-legitimized Ohio State as a national power. Um, she is a two-time All-American uh, first team and a one-time All-American second team. She graduated in 2020, so she got robbed of that opportunity to represent Ohio State in the NCAA championship. Um, but her last play as a collegiate player was she had the puck behind the net in her own zone, and she did a long pass, out, out, sort of uh, hitting somebody on, I think they were outside the blue line, so in the neutral zone. Um, and that individual then like skated down the ice and scored in overtime. Um, but just... Jinzy Dunn, she does a lot of things well, but like one of them is just like that confidence and poise and vision on the ice. So her last play was basically to assist an overtime winner for Ohio State to win the WCHA um, tournament, uh, something that that was the first time Ohio State ever did um, in their 20 plus year history. So and then, like, Jincy Dunn, um, in addition to the All-American accolades, uh, she as a defender, she finished her career with 99 points in four years. She um, had that centralization with um, the USA Hockey when she was not even yet a freshman, and yet somehow she's never really made it to the senior team. So you kind of just wonder, like, is this is this finally it? Is it finally going to happen for Jincy Dunn? Um, with the head coach being... Um, Joel Johnson, who is, uh, he coached in the WCHA, so he knows what she's all about. You know, you kind of think that that helps her a little bit in my mind, um, but we'll see. Um, again, this is just like brutally difficult to try to make this roster. Um, I, and all these guys do is win. So like, I, I personally, like, you, you almost can't criticize what they do, you know, because no matter who they put on the roster, they win. So um, we shall see what happens. Um, and then the last one that is vying for one of these last two spots in my mind is um, Savannah Harmon. Uh, Harmon is 25 years old, a 2018 graduate of Clarkson University, two-time NCAA champ her herself, um, 2018 first-team All-American, um, and she was named to her first world championship roster in 2020, but it was canceled, um, um, unfortunately, for her. So she has no... U18 USA experience. She really kind of fought her way onto the USA roster later, kind of postgraduate. She's represented her, uh, she's represented America at the rivalry series. Um, but those are, of course, um, um, friendlies, I guess. I don't know why I can't, exhibition games. There we go. Um, so, you know, those last two spots on defense, I think it's going to come down to um, Caroline Harvey, Jincy Dunn. Or, or Savannah Harmon, um, and who's to say who, who should pick, be, be picked? I think we need to, um, you know, watch them play and, and, and maybe form opinions. I, you know, I don't, I can't really form an opinion at this point. Um, we need to see what they do at Worlds and over the next few months. Um, but, but like I say, I do think that this decor of, of seven, 
although that they end up taking, although they're losing Bellamy and Falzer, they're still going to bring, I think, four returning Olympians, at least, um, probably Steckline, Keller, Barnes from the 2018 Olympics, and then Bozek, who was there in 2014, um, not 18, and I think she's going to be there in 2022. So they're going to have four Olympians, four second-time Olympians at least, um, so still a good decor. Okay, so if we now move to the forwards, um, so I'm thinking that by the time they're done cutting down to their 23-person roster for the Olympics, they're going to have 13 forwards. They potentially, again, these guys are so deep, it's scary. They're going to potentially have eight returning Olympians. Um, they will have, so their top six skaters um, at um, the 2018 Olympics were um, Kessel, Camernese, and Brandt. That was their, they moved lines around, but they were essentially the second line. Um, and then Knight, Coin, and Decker as the first line. So those are the six that had the most ice time. Uh, I think those six are all going to make their roster again. And then Kelly Panic, who was the third line center with the um, Lamaroos. And what a great third line that was. Um, Panic assisting the tying goal in the... Um, gold medal game, Monique Lammer scoring that goal, and then Jocelyn's goal in the um, um, shootout. I mean, basically, they got they got production from all their lines, but, like, their top three lines were excellent and, 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 and produced, right? Um, so, so their top six are coming back. Panic from the third line is coming back. And then Alex Carpenter, who was a 2014 Olympian, who was... Um, a snub, if you want to call that, at the 2018 Olympics. She's probably going to make the 2022 roster. So again, there's the potential right there for eight of their 13 um, forwards to be returning Olympians. Then, from the remaining folks on the um, centralization roster, you need to find five more skaters. Um, I think Abby Rock is somebody who's made like a very strong case to make it. Again, she's an NCAA champion. She's only one year removed from college. She graduated in 2020 um, from Wisconsin. Um, she had 11 points in the PWHPA showcases this year. Um, I can't remember how many games that was for her. Um, more than a point a game, though. Um, and like she was first of all, all skaters in points. Um so I think she has a very strong case to make this roster. Um, at forward, probably the one of the weirdest things, if there is any weird thing, is just no Annie Pankowski. Uh, Pankowski is another one who, I, she was centralized twice in the past, couldn't crack the roster. Her senior year in college, she did amazing. Um, basically willed her team to an NCAA championship. She got herself onto the 2019 World Championship roster, scored a goal in that gold medal game. Um also scored a goal in the shootout of that game to help them win gold. So like if there's anyone who's not on the roster where you're like, oh gosh, I hope this doesn't hurt them, who could be on the roster? Um, you know, Annie Pankowski's, uh, she comes to mind. Um, so, uh, but but again, we'll talk about who, who their other options are and, and there's some other good ones here. Um, so if, you know, a lot of their players retired after the last Olympics, but like they were not top two lines type people. 
Um, the Lamarus, obviously, you're really going to miss. Um, um, but uh, they still weren't on the top two lines. Um, whether they should have been is a different story. But anyways, they weren't. But like Annie Pankowski, she's an available player and she's not being centralized. That's the, I think, one of the only ones where you're kind of like, oh, you know, should she, is this, is this going to hurt Team USA? Um, but, um, so I have so far said, I think nine, basically nine. Yeah. So you've got to find four more players um, of the folks that they have centralized. So the other options are they have Haley Skamura. These are people that are centralized. Haley Skamura, um, she was at the 2019 World Championships. She's another one who kind of fought her way onto the roster um, later in life, sort of after, I think she even had a year or two of NWHL experience by the time she made the roster. Um, she played at Northeastern. She's from New York. Um, she was, you know, just a third or fourth line player. So I, I think she's at risk. There's no guarantees there for her to make it. Um we're going to have a Western coach. Um, so we'll see what happens for Skamura. I think the same is true of Jesse Comfer. Um, Comfer just finished her senior year at BU. She was on the 2019 um, World Championship roster. But again, she was like a third or fourth line player. Um, and she played in um, like, yeah, BU. Um, so I think those guys are real bubble players, even though they, they're they're bubble players to make this, um, roster, um, um, even though they were on the 2019 world championship roster, they will be competing against, uh, Lacey Eden and Abby Murphy, who I, as I, um, mentioned earlier, they just completed their freshman year, um, in college. Again, that's just the USA loving the young ones. Um, Lacey is at Wisconsin and Abby's at Minnesota. Um, don't I don't know a ton about them, um, so again I'm curious to to see what they what they bring in the next uh, six months as you know the as the team plays these um, um, exhibition games as part of their centralization. I think those two are going to be really interesting to watch. Um, Britta Curl, um, she's a rising senior. She's also centralized. She's a rising senior at um, Wisconsin. Um, curious to see what she brings. Obviously they see something in her that they like. Um, she has 75 points through three seasons. Um, that was, I think in my mind, I mean, she's, she's, I don't know. I, I don't, she's not really like, doesn't come with the star power that like, that we hear about with a Lacey Eden. Um, so I don't know. I just, Britta Curl was, eh, I mean, we'll see if she makes it. I don't think she's super favored to make it. Um, and then lastly, somebody who I think might crack this roster is Grace Zumwinkle. Um, incredibly, so she still has not, so she had, she's got through four years at Minnesota, um, captained the team this last year, finished with 148 points, um, which is an incredible feat in the WCHA. Um, she was a top three Patty Kaz finalist this year, so great, just great player, big player, great shot. Um, can handle the physicality, um, good leader. Um, I think that she is going to finally make it onto a roster. Um, she, I think she made the 2020 roster, but again, that was canceled. Um, so, I mean, I think she's in. And then, like I said, so um, 
So I think we're going to have eight returning Olympians. I think Abby Rock for number nine. I think Grace Sumwinkle for number 10. And then I think um, the last three spots, I think, I, I don't know who they're going to go to. Those individuals that I named, I think are going to um, kind of fight for those last three spots. Um, so that is the USA centralization roster. Um, just a couple comparisons to the Canadian roster who they also have their centralization roster. So both, both countries have five players over the age of 30. Um, the final rosters might not have five, obviously. Um, however, Canada's players over 30 are older than America's. So like, um, for on America, Hillary Knight is the oldest. She was born in 1989. Um, in Canada, the oldest is Mickelson. She was born in 85. They also have LaRock, who was born in 88, and Rebecca Johnson, who was born in 89. So they have three from the 80s, um, the Canadian roster. So maybe just a little different in uh, difference in philosophy there. Um, USA has four players who were born in 2000 or later, whereas Canada only has two. Um, and then lastly, I like this statistic. Uh, if we want to talk about Patty Kazmaier winning athletes being snubbed, Canada has three versus America's one. So, uh, if there's any takeaway, let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be nice to the, uh, federations. I'm not always nice to them, but let's be nice to them. Um, and let's spin it this way. There is so much talent that, um, don't kid yourself and ever think that the only players on the national team are, 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 are the great players. There are so many great players, including Patty Kazmaier winning players who cannot make these rosters. So um, I think that's actually, I didn't plan this, but that's a good segue into, um, well, where are these, where are these uh, players playing if they're not on the um, national team? Um, so that brings me to my next thing I wanted to talk about, which is just an update of what's happening in the NCAA women's college hockey for the last week. So, um, let's do a coaching update first, um, because the answer to that rhetorical question is where, you know, where do these, these, these Patty Cas people play? They play NWHL, they play Europe, they play PWHPA. And they play in college. So there is lots of women's hockey out there. Um, so, coaching update. A few episodes ago, I talked about how Joel Johnson left Minnesota to go across town to coach um, the brand new, D- well, not brand new, but the recently moved to Division One program, uh, the St. Thomas Tommies. He has hired his staff. Dun, dun, dun. What did he do? He hired the other assistant coach from Minnesota which is kind of badass. Um, So Minnesota didn't just lose their associate head coach. They also lost their assistant coach, Bethany Brosson. Um, So coach Brad Frost over at Minnesota, uh, you know what? He's a pretty decorated coach. Life will go on. He'll be just fine. People want to coach at Minnesota. So he will hire some some people. So um, just kind of a change in atmosphere there. So that's kind of exciting. Um, it, I, it did make me wonder, I was like, oh, I wonder why Brosson followed, um, Joel Johnson, you know, is it a money thing or, or who knows what it is, right? Uh, maybe she just wanted something new, but, um, uh, she had coached for, I think five seasons at Minnesota and I just thought, oh man, I wondered if she, you know, she would have been, 
that sort of top assistant, you know, kind of on the path to associate head coach. Um, plus also she's like a generation younger than Brad Frost. So this is looking way down the road, but if she wanted to stay there for like 20 years, maybe, who knows, maybe she would become the, the next head coach. Um, um, but again, 20 years has a long outlook, but, uh, so I, I thought that was a little interesting. You know, why would you walk away from being the top assistant coach at Minnesota, which is a desirable place to be, to be at. But anyways, she must've had her reasons. Um, and then the other coach, so Minnesota will have to get new assistants. Uh, meanwhile, over at St. Thomas, Joel Johnson also hired Marty Sertic, who, or maybe you would say he retained Marty Sertic. Uh, Marty Sertic was the assistant coach at the Tommies when they, um, played at the division three level. Um, so pretty nice little staff that Joel Johnson has put together. Um, Bethany Brosson, who he's familiar with, and then Marty Sertic, who, um, is very familiar with, with, uh, St. Thomas, of course. And, um, Sertic, yes, he, you know, is going from division three to the division one environment. Um, so he might have some nuances to learn, but as far as hockey goes, um, you know, he played AHL hockey. There's no reason to believe that he cannot coach division one women's hockey. So, um, so that's, you know, the, the coaching staff at St. Thomas all filled out, ready to go. Um, and then we'll see who Minnesota hires. Um, still haven't heard who Mercyhurst has hired. Um, so I will mention that as soon as that happens, cause they're also looking for an assistant coach. Um, and there's lots of openings across the nation still. Um, another big hiring, um, in, uh, in uh, the college level last week was um, University of Minnesota Duluth hired Laura Schuler as an assistant. Again, kind of um, unusual. Laura Schuler used to be a head coach and she's now going to be an assistant coach. She was the head coach at um, Dartmouth. Not sure if if um, they if Dartmouth didn't renew her contract or if she chose to leave. Um, but regardless, I think that um, you know. Laura Schuler has a pretty incredible resume. And so UMD's coaching staff uh, bios are just pretty strong right now with Maura Crowell um, as the head coach and Laura Schuler as the assistant coach. And then also Laura Bellamy as another assistant coach. Uh, Laura Schuler, she was an Olympian for Canada back in 1998. She won an NCAA championship as an assistant coach with UMD in 2010. So a little bit tricky. She, she was at UMD as an assistant coach, then she left and now she's coming back. Um, and then also she coached, um, Canada's, uh, senior team, um, for three or four years. Um, in coaching the senior team, she never did win gold. Um, but she also never got like destroyed. So she's a competent coach. Um, it, I'm not sure why she went from head coach to assistant coach. Um, and actually, this is the second time in her career that she's done it, which is something I recently learned, um, courtesy of a poster on the USCHO message board. Um, but so maybe Laura Schuler is just like, you know what, I like the assistant coaching role. Who knows, right? Um, but but that is a perspective that is completely valid if it is the case. Um, and I think that, um, again, she, like I said, Olympian coached coached that hockey canada team so she knows exactly what hockey canada likes in their players in terms of personality um how they conduct themselves how they play 
Um, so I think, so she'll be able to mold players in that image. So I think she'll have like really good recruiting potential. Um, and then also just like, um, she's going to be like a strong, you know, her head coaching success at the college level, like wasn't great. Um, but she also like coached at Dartmouth, which certain schools are easier to win at than others. Um, and, um, that Dartmouth tenure was kind of broken up with her going off to the Olympics for, to coach in 2018. So, um, um, my point is just that I think she's going to bring a ton to UMD. And I think also that UMD, um, now puts themselves in a position where, um, just from an employee perspective, they essentially have two coaches who are head coach capable, which my guess is that that makes from a work perspective that just makes life so much easier for everybody on the staff so um pretty pretty cool pretty big move by umd um and we'll see what we'll see what comes of it they play in a very challenging conference um and they found a way to get into the ncaa tournament this year um Minnesota and Wisconsin are both going to be down some person power, what with players being away centralized. Um, so, you know, is UMD going to make a push and win their conference this year or um, win their conference tournament and, and return to the NCAAs? Because they, they seem to, um, you know, I think they, the fact that they were in the Frozen Four this year, you know, speaks to their capability and, and a hire, hiring like Laura Schuler speaks to their um, sort of desire to get back there, I think. So that's a team to watch this year. Um, moving on to schedules. A um, bunch of schedules are starting to come out. Um, I'm going to talk about the Mercyhurst one in a minute. Um, one thing that I learned last week not related to Mercyhurst is that the Battle of the Berg tournament, a.k.a. Pittsburgh, is going to happen. Um, I, that was like a Robert Morris thing. It happened either once or twice. Then they, their program got disbanded. Um, um, so I wouldn't have thought that there would be a Battle of the Berg happening again, but there's going to be, which is really cool, January 1 and 2. Um, and it will happen, I presume, at the um, Pittsburgh Penguins practice facility, which is a cool little rink. It's going to be St. Cloud, Syracuse, Boston University, and Penn State. So I kind of circled that one on my calendar, and I hope that I can go to one of those games because um, it's not too far from me. Um, so in terms of non-Mercyhurst things, that's like um, one that I'm interested in. Now, Mercyhurst also dropped their schedule, and I think their schedule is, like, super fun, um, other than the absence of Robert Morris. Um, so, so here are, so they're non-conference people that they're playing. They're going to play RPI at home. What makes that exciting is they're actually playing it at homecoming. They have not played at homecoming for ages, and they're allowed to have fans in the building again, so that's cool. They're going to play Colgate on the road. Um, Colgate is a ranked team and has a beautiful rink. That's fun. Um, they're going to, Mercyhurst is going to play Franklin Pierce and also Long Island University. They're going to play them at home. Those are fun non-conference games because they've never played those teams before. They're going to play Union on the road. 
that's fun because I'm pretty sure they've never played. I think they've only played Union once in program history. And they've never played at Union. And Union is in, I think the name of the town is Schenectady. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, but um, again, I just that'll be a new experience for the players. I, I, I personally enjoyed seeing the different rinks and traveling the different places when I was a player. So I, I like this nerdy stuff. Um, Mercyhurst is also going to host St. Lawrence at home. Um, they have a great history with St. Lawrence, kind of, uh, similar in, in, similar in, in, um, sort of, I think, uh, they're evenly matched teams typically. Um, and, uh, St. Lawrence was receiving votes by the end of the year. They won't have their best player because she's been centralized with Canada, um, Julia Gosling. Um, but St. Lawrence will still be a good test for Mercyhurst. And I think anytime that they play Mercy, uh, play St. Lawrence, it's a great series. Um, so that's a good one. And then, uh, Mercyhurst also is going to go to Nashville for a Thanksgiving tournament to play. Um, the other three teams there will be Colgate, Boston College, and Minnesota. So I'm not sure which two of the three they will play. Um, but just going to Nashville will be cool to be in one of those tournaments, um, and then, um, their non-conference schedule is very, um, NUHA and ECAC heavy. So getting an opportunity to play BC is a crack at a Hockey East team. Getting to play Minnesota obviously would be a WCHA team. And all three of those teams, Colgate, BC, and Minnesota should be top 10 teams. Um, so that's a pretty exciting not non-conference schedule. There's, I think stuff to be excited about for every single game. Um, so I'm pumped for that schedule. Um, and I'm going to try to make it to at least, at least one game. Um, but maybe two, I'm trying to think, I don't know when all these games are happening. Obviously homecoming is their first game is September 24th or 25th. Um, so we're not far from the beginning of college season. Um, I don't know when these other games are happening, um, maybe if I go to a non-conference game, it would make sense to go watch them play like, you know, um, one of their conference opponents as well, but we'll see, um, personal schedules fill up quickly and weekends fill up quickly. So we shall see. Um, okay. So the last thing I should mention on the college scene before we move on to the um, second to last section, the NWHL section, just real quick, uh, Robert Morris announced that they're actually going to try to raise the money to save their women's hockey team and their men's hockey team. No idea if it's performative or if they're actually into it. Um, what they published on their website. And again, this is such a joke, like as of like a month or two months ago or whatever, when they cut the team, they were bragging about their fundraising abilities. They're like, we raised a hundred million dollars ahead of schedule um, blah, blah, blah. We're so amazing. Our fundraising capability, our support, blah, blah, blah. And then now when it comes to like reviving the hockey team, they're like, Oh, hockey players, please help us raise this money. Like kind of acting like they're broke and like need all this financial help. So I don't know. I mean, is it performative so that they don't get sued? Are they actually into saving this program? I have no idea. Short term and even medium term, a ton of damage has been done to the programs. Um, if not killed them altogether, but I think that it's worth trying to save the programs for the long-term benefit of what it could mean for um, the players and staff that get to play on the team, as well as the impact that it has on girls and women's hockey in Pittsburgh and in the surrounding 
um, area as far as like what it means for college hockey America and NCAA hockey um, division one for women so uh, fingers crossed that program's still on life support um, um, but they made the news last week okay let's move on to the NWHL this is my longest podcast ever if you are still listening if you have listened to all 52 minutes so far thank you so much for listening um, and if you're just jumping around to the parts that you like, welcome to the NWHL section. I have no idea why this podcast, well, I do know why this podcast is so long. It's because working, it's because a lot of stuff happens every week. Um, but, uh, certainly my goal is not to have such long podcasts. Um, but it happens. It's a monster. Um, and, and, and here we go with the NWHL, what they were up to last week. Um, so the fourth team out of six, um, hired a new GM this year. Um, Carolyn, I forget her last name. I don't even think I'm saying her first name right. The Boston Pride's GM got a job with, um, the Chicago Blackhawks as a scout. So good for her. Um, and so she, that left an opening and, um, President Colleen Coyne of the Boston Pride hired Danielle LaRucco from Brown, um, graduated in 1997, to be the new GM. Um, Danielle uh, LaRucco has experience. She, in her, her career life, she's worked for Adidas and she's also worked for um, kind of running various hockey organizations. Um, so this should be right up her alley. Um, it, it was kind of interesting. You, you see how quickly, how hockey is like, well, not just hockey, everything, everything is about networks, right? Um, like Colleen Coyne knew Danielle LaRucco from back in the day, basically, um, back in the day, like Eastern hockey in the nineties, um, in, in, in us. So, um, just, um, and that's not to suggest that LaRuco is not qualified. She totally qualified. Um, but the point is just that, like, you always need people from your network in um, powerful positions if you're trying to break into something. Or maybe you don't need it, but you, it helps, right? Um, so that kind of just jumped out at me when I was reading the press release. And uh, Colleen Coyne, like, referenced kind of knowing her from back in the 90s. Um, just as a, a reminder, the other new GMs this year are... Anya Packer for the Riveters, Christy Clark for the Toronto Six, and Alex Moed for uh, the Connecticut Whale. Um, signings continue for the league. Um, so that's that. Um, I'm, I would like to know when their schedule is coming out. Um, they don't normally announce when their um, all-star game is or where it's going to be played for, for quite some time. But I was, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing a schedule for these guys, um, and see if there's going to be any neutral, neutral site games near me. Um, I'm also looking to see them announce a new, I don't know the right title here, like an NWHLPA director, like what Anya Packer used to be. Um, because it was very clear that she just drove so many results, um, for improving, um, circumstances for the players. So like she left massive shoes to fill and she left that role, um, a few months ago now. Um, and we're still waiting to hear who's going to replace her. So I'm curious about that. Um, and then early in the year, there was like 
It just seemed like every day they were announcing new sponsorships. So I'm kind of got my ears open just saying, hmm, are they going to announce some renewals of sponsorships or like how are things going on that end? And also, um, what's their revenue sharing details going to be for this year? So while the NWHL continues to crank out news, um, there's some specific things that I'm like looking like kind of have my ear out there for and haven't seen yet. But it is also only mid-July. So, you know, we'll give them a break. Um, one thing that they did do, um, which was kind of interesting, was that they announced, I think on Friday, the league announced that they had hired two scouts, uh, one for Canada, one for the USA. Um, I think that's fine, but it's, it's, I'm like, is that one of the things that like, cause you know, the PWHPA people who are holding out from being in this league, I'm like, is that one of the things that they said that they need to see before they're interested? Because... I, if I made a list of things that the NWHL needs, like scouts was not on the list. Um, that's not to say that they don't need scouts, but it's just, it would be extremely low priority from my perspective. Um, like another thing that I'm interested in, in terms of how they spend their money is like, what is your production value going to be of your games that you stream? Um, because the 2021 season was good. Um, but, uh, I don't remember the 1920 season, but at, uh, I think this is fair to say about the 1920 season. Um, a lot of the streams used to be terrible. And 2021 was good, but it was unique because it was a bubble. Um, a porous bubble. Um, and so it was just at one rink so they could set up to have good production. Um, but like when I think of how these guys are spending their money right now, like I would much rather have seen something that said, I don't know, just like, these are the rinks that we have contracts to play at and the and what's great about this rink is we can produce a great stream from it you know like that's that's the thing where i'm like this is where they need to spend some money um or one place where they need to spend some money um freaking scouts is like pretty far down the list because um you want some scouting reports go pull up the usa centralization roster look at the patty cas people look at who the all-americans are Look at um, the Canadian version of all those things that I just said. Um, like, like this, like the scouting is almost irrelevant because it has like it's like who you get has nothing to do with who's the best. It has to do with um, who works a full time job that can actually accommodate being on one of these teams. Um, who can actually uh, get a work visa in America at five of the six cities that have NWHL teams? Um, who, sort yeah, I mean. Yeah, who who can get a job in these cities? Who can make enough money to like, if it's a high cost of living city, who can make enough money to live there? Um, it's those are like the decision making things. It's not like who's the best player. That's not even where we're at right now. So for these guys to hire scouts, I don't really get it, but like whatever. Um, um, there was some criticism of the scouts that they hired for various different things, but um, one of the criticisms was like, okay, they hired some white males. And I struggled with that a little bit because while I 100% think we need to be like diverse um, and um, get more women and get more black, indigenous and people of color in women's hockey, the two people that they did hire, um, Bill Flanagan for the US and Ken Dufton for Canada as scouts, these are people that have been very devoted to women's hockey. Um, Ken Dufton has been around since... 
I don't even know when, I think honestly the 80s. Um, he ran a hub for like national team players um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, he coached um, Hockey Canada at the World Championships in 2003-04. Um, these aren't those aren't activities that you make big money at. Um, that's something that he did because he was passionate about women's hockey. So does he deserve jobs in women's hockey? In my opinion, um, Ken Dufton. Yeah, he does. And then Bill Flanagan is sort of a, he's like a next generation Jack Brote or Paul Kennedy. He's a girl dad turned women's hockey supporter. Um, he funded a whole bunch of the stuff that the New Hampshire PWHPA hub did this past year. Um, he's switching from the PWHPA over to the NWHL. Um, I think analyzing these hires, a person needs to go more in depth than just saying, oh, white male, you know, uh, you know, you're failing NWHL. Um, so, you know, it's, um, and, and, and to that point, like, yeah, I don't like it when women's hockey hires or any sport hires somebody who parachutes in and hasn't invested any time and gets a high profile job. I don't like that. Hockey Canada did that recently when they hired their assistant coach for the women's Olympics game. I don't even remember the guy's name. I don't even care. But looking at his bio, it just looks like he was unemployed in men's hockey at the right time. And he's from Nova Scotia and the head coach is from Nova Scotia. And now this guy's the assistant coach at Team Canada. Um, and those are the ones where I'm like, okay, you can criticize this for, okay, you just hired a white male. Flanagan and Dufton, I don't really think that that critique is as relevant. I think you can still say, hey, let's make sure that we are, you know, the NWHL is striving to be inclusive and hire women and hire black, indigenous, and people of color. Totally have to do that. But I don't think, in my opinion, Flanagan and Dufton are horrible hires um, just by virtue of being white males. That's kind of insane in my opinion um now one thing I will criticize about the Dufton hire so first of all I was like well is this really how you need to be spending your money right now so that's one criticism um the the other thing about the Ken Dufton hire is he is the assistant coach of the Ryerson Rams and Lisa Haley is the head coach of the Ryerson Rams and she's also like the VP of hockey operations for um the NWHL um so one thing about her hiring him so Ryerson is in Toronto you haven't really like diversified I mean what is he seeing that she's not seeing they coach the exact same team so they're they're seeing the same opponents like I don't really understand I think it would have made more sense to get a scout from out west if it if it's really and truly about identifying talent because Haley's already seeing the talent that exists in Ontario. So maybe get somebody from out west. Maybe get somebody from Quebec, the Maritimes. Um, that's just my thought on that. If, if there's any criticism to be made of that Ken Dufton hire. Um, um, unless the actual objective is more just like, here's a hockey candidate. Here's somebody who was tight with Hockey Canada at some point. Flanagan has a connection to the U.S. women's national team because his daughter's in the mix to make the Olympics. Um, so is this even about scouting or is it about, look, we're hiring people who are adjacent or, um, to Hockey Canada and U.S. women's national team? And, and maybe maybe that was the goal. And from that perspective, maybe these hires make sense. Um, 
but um, I think it would be neat to just kind of flesh it out a little bit about more about what this scouting role is, what these guys are going to do, what their um, deliverables are, um, because uh, I think that just kind of caught a lot of people off guard. Like, oh, well, we have a scouting department now. Okay, whatever. Um, so, you know, interesting, interesting development. And we shall see um, what what comes of it. Um, um, as far as Flanagan being a former PWHPA and now NWHL guy, you can take your pick. And how you want to view it, do you want to view it and say, ooh, fractures in the PWHPA? Or do you want to view it and say, ooh, bridge building between the PWHPA and the NWHL? Um, so take your pick. Um, but I know that for myself, um, when I saw the lack of media coverage that happened when um, that centralization roster got dropped last week, um, I can literally think of uh, a couple Minnesota articles came out and BC Interruption wrote something. Um, but by and large, literally no media for it. And so from my perspective, it's just yet another reminder, like people who care about women's hockey, we have got to be united and we have got to work together. So seeing Flanagan come over from the PWHPA to the NWHL, um, I want to hope that that is a building of a bridge um, to a more united future. Um, so one can hope. Whew, that was a lot of hockey talk. Um, it's a good thing I had a coffee before I recorded this. Um, because that was, uh, oh, 65 minutes. What am I, and now I feel guilty if I go on about my children. But I know that my parents probably listen to this part of the podcast, so maybe I should say something. Um, we, today's Saturday night, so we had, um, you know, our, our, our summer continues, right? We're, we're in that mode where, um, you know, halfway through the summer, we've been having a really nice summer and everything, but there's that tendency where, like, you get your first thing in the mail related to school in the fall. Well, like, school is still five weeks away, but there's that tendency to be like, oh my God, summer's over. So something that I'm working on right now is just being like, no, summer is not over. We literally have five weeks left to enjoy. Um, we are starting to prep to get ready for school. But school, it, we, we are refusing to enter that school mentality yet. You know, I'll go online. I'll buy the stupid clear backpacks. I will, um, before they sell out, buy a bunch of masks for my kids. Um, ramp up the reading and some math activities to uh, make sure that the summer slide is not out of control. But for the most part, we're going to continue maintaining a summer mentality and enjoying our summer. Um, what we have been doing basically is just nonstop swimming. That's all my kids want to do. And I really enjoy watching them swim um, at swim lessons. And then so we do swim lessons every week. And then we also go to the outdoor pool. And I swear every time I take them, they're, they're just like stronger and stronger swimmers. So it's like super fun. Um, and then my daughter, especially watching her at swim lessons, she literally has a smile on her face the whole time. Um, if she's swimming across the pool, whether she's doing a front stroke or a backstroke, she has a smile on her face. So it's just very nice to see. Um, a couple of days ago, my husband and I also actually hired a babysitter for our kids and went out. 
which was awesome. Um, that's kind of a new world for us. Like, it's just amazing how the kids, it feels like things change really, really slowly. And then all of a sudden there's just drastic changes, you know, it feels like, um, because, uh, we didn't, we weren't people that normally hired babysitters, um, a, because our childcare costs were already high and B, because like, it was just always such a production. I think the last time that we hired a babysitter, my son got himself really worked up at bedtime and like threw up everywhere. So it's just, you know, you kind of just feel like, what is even the point? Um, but, uh, we had a really nice time going out and I feel like, oh my God, we can actually do this on a semi-regular basis now. Um, and then, so today I had, they took went swimming this morning and then my son had his first ever play date, um, this afternoon, which was really sweet. A little friend from school came over and, um, they were very rambunctious. Um, boys and girls are sure different. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but it went well. So it was just like a super nice day. Um, and we still have one more day of the weekend and we are keeping our perspective firmly rooted in the present and enjoying our summer, even if we know five weeks from now school is going to happen. Um, you know, we will make sure we enjoy the rest of the summer um, and not look too far down the road. So, all right. Um, thus ends my longest ever stops and starts podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And um, what's the date? What's the date today? The 17th. Okay. So we are like 33 days away from worlds. How awesome is that? And Olympics also in the meantime, uh, so good sports time. And um, I can't wait to see what happens in hockey the next week and we will chat in a week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.